0: the integrity of money is a core contributor to the integrity of civilization, that's one useful way to look at the value of Bitcoin, is that we have, for the first time in human history, a perfectly predictable money.
1: That's Robert Breedlove, and this is episode 442 of the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. how can we bring awareness and reverence
0: to all the little mundane elements of our life wellness i think is a combination of understanding your own internal wants needs and desires if you really want to take guidance from your soul you have to be ready to realize that many of the things
1: that you're asking for guidance on your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in Understanding that we are a piece of nature, you know, nature is where we belong, I think is a very comforting thing to understand that would certainly feed into wellness well. Hey, welcome back to the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. This is Josh Trent, and this is episode 442, Blockchain Wellness, How to Use Bitcoin Cryptocurrency for Your Freedom, Health, and Vitality. This is with Robert Breedlove. Now, you're probably wondering, what? Does Bitcoin or cryptocurrency have anything to do? How does it have anything to do with my freedom, health, and vitality? Well, I will tell you so much, so much. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. You know, my own understanding of wellness recently went through a huge shift when I realized wellness isn 't a quadrant. Wellness is a pentagon, which by the way, if you go to youtube there 's a video titled that 's it i quit that 's when we transition the show from Wellness Force to wellness wisdom. I didn't really quit, obviously, because you're here with me. <laughs> We've just, we just taken a little turn and we're going up a much more exciting mountain. I wanted to capture people's attention because people, they like it when other people quit. I don't know what that is about the human psyche, but it's true, right? Like When you find out someone quits something, you go, why? It's because I think we all want to have more freedom inside of ourselves. We all want to move on to the next level of whatever we're doing. Like, I don't care what you do for work or how you identify your value in the world. I think novelty and change come and it's our ability to move with that change that makes the real difference in the quality of our life. And that also includes our thoughts around what money is and what money does for us and what we choose to do with money. Okay. So back to what I was saying, there's a video on YouTube titled, That's It, I Quit. And I shared where I went from these four sections to five. I went from a quadrant with four sections to a pentagon with five. This was really big for me because I always thought that life was about filling the cups or sections of mental, physical, emotional, spiritual well-being. But you know what I was missing? I was missing number five. It was financial. Look, we all agreed to be here at this time. We can either make peace with the story of money because that's all money is. It's a story. It's an agreement. And I thought, what a more powerful person to bring on to this podcast when it comes to healing our relationship and really understanding what money truly is than Robert Breedlove. And I don't know about you, but for me, money and finance have been a lifelong learning curve when it comes to how to use it, how to keep it, and how to make peace with it. Do you feel me? I felt it too for a long time. And in this episode, I asked a few questions and I listened much and I suggest that you do that as well because a lot of the things that Robert will share with you may seem incredibly counterintuitive to what money actually is and honestly they might shock you they might upset you but this is what we all need to understand is that fiat currency is not actually currency it's an agreement we'll talk about where we went wrong with money and trade Robert will share the psychological wounding of taxes healing the money wound, both collective and personal, and time preference economics and the importance of Bitcoin. We'll also explore cultivating financial independence and so many other topics when it comes to your emotions, feelings, and thoughts about money. When it comes to what money actually is and our understanding of how money makes us well or takes us away from wellness, Robert is at the top of the food chart who is the thought leader that is moving more people than I've seen in the space at all from anyone else. I really feel like he has a pulse on what's happening in cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. He's a digital fluent finance and operations executive. He has broad spectrum leadership experience across enterprise tech, consumer tech, corporate finance, wealth management, Bitcoin and crypto asset domains. Robert holds a Bachelor of Science in Accounting and Finance and a Master's Degree in Accounting from the University of Tennessee, Haslam College of Business. His mission in life is to maximize freedom for humanity. Damn, that feels good, doesn't it? Listen, I know money isn't always the most comfortable subject, but starting today, let's make it more comfortable to talk about it. Let's celebrate our money. Let's celebrate our wealth. Let's celebrate where we are and where we get to be when it comes to money that we have and that we're going to have more of. And I don't care where you are. I've been there. I don't care if you're super dead broke. I was there like $80,000 in debt almost. I know what it's like to have $30,000 stolen from me. I also know what it's like to create multiple six figures by doing something that I really care about. And I've always cared about being honest with you and with myself, with this microphone from day one. And that's what I'm going to continue to be and to deliver with this Wellness Wisdom episode. It's my intention that by the end of this show, you're going to have a starting place. You're going to have a real starting place to understand Bitcoin and how this can help you in your capacity to serve both yourself and your family and your community. That's what money does. Money creates capacity for us to exchange energy. And that's what's most exciting about money. We've just got a really big wound and really a deeper, darker history that Robert goes into today that I'm so excited you're gonna learn from because it's actually going to make you see money differently and it'll change your relationship with this unit of exchange, which will essentially give you more breath, more peace, more capacity. Everything can be found at joshtrent.com forward slash four forty-two. Now let's learn from Robert Breedlove what is what is really lighting you on fire you know as an educator as a podcaster as somebody that people look to for sound financial intelligence um what is something that you know wants to come through your heart today mm. well this
0: i mean the whole concept of fiat and it,
1: i think you're smart
0: to integrate the financial aspect into your media channel because yeah it is so essentially human right we if we don't have the cooperative economic financial aspect to ourselves then we are animal and we go nowhere we we can't get ourselves out of depravity and the big thing that is really lighting me on fire recently is the entire notion of fiat itself i think it's all rooted in fear ultimately on both sides both the the individual or group imposing fiat and the victims of the fiat are both acting out of fear rather than love. And I think that is the, the fundamental psychological schism on
1: humanity. This love versus fear concept around fiat, maybe just describe what fiat even is, you know, used to be things were backed by gold backed by seashells. We had tribes in the world where they actually traded goods, Mm -hmm. but fiat is essentially two people rubbing their fingers together But I love the way you described it, where it's one is love, one is fear.
0: Yeah. So before Bitcoin, the term fiat currency was virtually unknown, even though it was ubiquitous. We all use fiat currency. But the term fiat is even bigger than money. Money is a very important part of it. But um, the original fiat was fiat lux, actually. And this is God saying, let there be light. This is the original decree that initiated everything, right? And that, that cosmological description of, of reality. And essentially, fiat means do something because an authority said so. Not because you want to, not because you decided it's in your best interest, not because you decided it creates value for you or your loved ones, but because if you don't do it, you will incur some type of damage or injury or attack from this authority, right? So it's, and this is something that it's, we use this in our home, right? If you have kids, you raise your kids by fiat. You say, do this because I said so. Why do you do that? Because your child, your toddler, they don't have reason yet. They're trying to come online. They're trying to bootstrap themselves to have human reason, but until they get to that point, you actually have to be the one that calls the shots, right? You have to tell them, don't put this in your mouth, you know, put this in your mouth, go to bed, wake up, take a
1: bath, right? I have an eight month old son, so so I know this well.
0: Yes. So this is fiat was because, because I said, so you have to control their environment because they don't have human reason. They have not come online yet. However, you only do that because you hope that they will grow into fully autonomous, self-sovereign adults, right? You don't want to tell your kids how to act because you said so for their entire life, right? You, you're you're doing that with the intention of setting them free, right? Getting them out of the nest, letting them be free individual actors. So there's this element of fear, frankly, right? Like you, the child respects you and listens to that order. And if you've Been a parent, you know very well, especially around the age of two, three, four, they're testing the boundaries nonstop. They want to know how much can I get away with before mom or dad really puts the foot down, right? And invokes the spank or the timeout or whatever the thing that I'm scared of is. So they're trying to establish these boundaries. The parent has to set these boundaries by fiat. But the long run game is hey, we're all adults here. We're all free adults. Um, And I think that at the level of statism, we've basically taken that model and applied it to adult collectives, right? We have, this is not, again, not just money. This is all regulation, all taxation, all inflation. Um, Anytime you're doing something that you did not sign up to do, and this is not not to say that there's no rules, right? When I go into a restaurant, Or a nightclub, or some establishment. Like I'm agreeing to operate according to their rules, right? I'm I'm making an exchange of money for food or beverage or whatever it is, and I'm agreeing to conform to their rules, right? Maybe I'm wearing night attire or the right shoes or whatever it is. But it's a mutually voluntary exchange. There's no one coming and kicking in my door, putting a gun to my head, saying, "Hey, put on your your night attire to go to this restaurant." Right. It's I have voluntarily decided to do it. I have voluntarily agreed to come into your arena and play by your rules. So that's the key point is this this notion of voluntarism or mutual reciprocity, something like that. And so there's there's clearly an element in the domain of fiat, and those that are being victimized are fearful, right? They are afraid of the consequences of not doing what they are being told to do. But the more I thought about this, I think there's equally an element of fear on the, the perpetrator of fiat as well. The authority saying, do this because I said so. Because why else would they say that, right? This, and we, most people would traditionally associate this with a hunger or thirst for power, like political power or control. That is an expression of fear too because why else would i be trying to control or dominate you if i wasn't scared of what would happen otherwise
1: mm-hmm.
0: All right so it's an expression of fear by both the victimizer and the victim i think and so f- fiat itself you know legislation by fiat we, we're so we're we're psychotic basically today we think we can fix the environment by passing a law we think we can you know stop we can change people's behavior we've 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 had In China, they had a one-child policy, right? We've had tax incentives trying to get people to spend more, do this, do that. And it's all, I think it's just all broken because at the end of the day, you're wielding the rod of fear to try and get people to do what you want them to do. And that's not a sustainable mode of organizing human beings. Because even even if it works, even if I wield the rod and say, do this because I said so, and you do it, you're still keeping tabs right in your mind that okay i didn't want to do this and i did it anyways so the first chance i get to backstab this guy or cut out or dodge the authority or you know you know cut corners bend the rules whatever i'm going to take it right so you're creating this incentive to abdicate from social organization because it's all done by fear Versus the, you know, in the alternative universe here, this would be the libertarian slash Bitcoin or freedom maximalist viewpoint, is that you just let people choose for themselves. Let the adults be adults. The adults will choose what's best for them. If they don't like it, they'll say no. If they do like it, they'll say yes.
1: Debt is one of the most powerful entry points to a conversation about digital currency and about the freedom that it brings that I've ever heard. And I love it so much because. I think about what it means when I parent my son. I do it from a place of love. I'm not trying to control him. I'm trying to keep him safe, and it's a genuine intention. So I'm curious from your standpoint, and we're going to go so deep into the different terms around money and blockchain, and for people that are just starting this journey of financial independence and financial freedom, we'll go deep today. But to pull the e break and go back to the way you started this that was so powerful, if there was a timeline of money— that you could just glance with us, where did we start to go wrong? Was it on the seashore when we were in tribes? Was it the golden age? Was it the powers that be in England? Like where did we go wrong where we started to go towards control rather than just letting life live itself? People caring and trading for foreign with one another.
0: Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there because it's, it's not about, yeah. Fiat is about control, right? It's about I want to project my mental model onto the world and I want you to be a chess piece in that mental model so I can move you around like a cog in the machine versus which is clearly just bullshit first of all right humans are not cogs in a machine we're not mechanical in any way we're dynamic complex adaptive systems each of us is self-sovereign to try and reduce someone to a, a piece on a chessboard just doesn't work um This idea of control, like it's been with us for forever, basically, right? I would say this is the thing we've been trying to wrestle with as a species since the beginning of time. It's this realization that, you know, the unique power of humanity is this, that we can, what we're doing right now, we can tell and believe stories. So we can construct imagined orders, to use the Yuval Harari term. And we can organize ourselves within these imagined orders to coordinate human action flexibly and in large numbers at a scale that no other animal can. So the the common joke here is, you know, a chimpanzee troop can maybe be 150 strong. That's kind of like the limits of their social organization. It's called the Dunbar number, Yes, but you can unite a million Americans <laughs> under a flag and send them across the ocean to go to war. Right? That is a symbolic imagined order. You've coordinated a million humans. You've scaled up the ability for humans to cooperate and coordinate and project force in a way that no other animal can. That's why we run shut. That's why human beings run the world, because we have the power of imagination. The problem is we now have Given that great power of imagination and imagined orders, in particular nation-states, that is the dominant imaginary order of today, so much um, effort goes into trying to control the levers of that imaginary order. This is political power in a nutshell, right? If you just believe in the fable of the nation-state, um, then you're, you'll are you give anything for it, right? And this is, I forget, I think it was Harachi. He called this the oldest lie that it's a glory to die for one's country. You know, this is something we've been trying to get away from forever. And it's a statism in general is a form of slavery ultimately. So this idea that, and maybe I could we'll shift a little bit here into taxation. So we know about taxation. What's the most common thing you hear about taxation? There's two certainties in life, right?
1: Death and taxes. taxes. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, we all know we're going to die, but do we all have to be taxed? Let's, Let's pull that apart a little bit. So what is taxation? What's so unique about it? Taxation is the only way governments generate revenue. Revenue in any other business in the world is done through mutual, consensual, voluntary exchange, right? Two parties come together and say, I like what you have more than what I have and you feel the same. So therefore, we're going to trade. And we both leave that exchange feeling psychologically better off. I've created psychological profit and value for myself, as have you. And if we iterate that process, right, where only people are coming together and making voluntary trades, then we can accumulate psychological well-being and profit. But when you introduce the idea of taxation you have a non-consensual exchange occurring. This is, it's robbery, effectively. It's someone under the threat of uh, legal attacks, violence, coercion, compulsion. You will give me this much of your property or else, right? So the very useful framing for this, because people get very hung up here because we're talking about something that's been with humans since the beginning of time. So when I'm talking about taxation and I'm saying it's theft. People just want to throw it out. They're like, there's no way. How could it be theft? It's everywhere. Everyone pays taxes. It's the normal way of things. Let's just, you're clear. You, sir, clearly have a tinfoil hat on. Let's go on about our business. Well, let's think about this. If your effective tax rate is 100%, if the product, all the product of your labor goes to someone else, goes to a tax collector, you are by definition a slave, that is literally the definition of a slave, right? I work. I don't get anything. Of, none of the value I create do I get. It's all going to someone else. And hopefully they give me enough to survive if they value their, their slave. Um, that is So a 100% effective tax rate is a slave. A 0% effective tax rate would be a fully self-owned, self-sovereign individual, right? The pro- they keep all the product of their labor. No matter what value I create in the world, I keep it and I'm free to trade it with other self-owned people in this that process of mutual exchange I just described that creates more value, more wealth for everyone. So in the world today, you just take a look at your effective tax rate. If you live in the Western world, you're probably in the 10 to 30 to 40% range. And that is what percentage of a slave you are. Because that amount of your wealth, the product of your work, your labor, the fruits of your past freedom are being given up to a taxing authority. And you have no negotiation in that process, right? There's no negotiation. You just get a a There's
1: a perceived power, but it's really so much red tape and so much like of a fractional system that when we think we cast votes or we elect superintendents or government representatives that they will go to bat for us. The unfortunate piece about what you're talking about, which is so profound, it's so profound here, we're talking about slavery and freedom, is that there's no structure in place that actually keeps in boundary the elected officials or the people that regulate these things. So they, too, fall prey, really, to what I think you started this podcast with, and that is fear or greed, right? Greed Mm -hmm. and fear, I think, are brother and sister. So there's something about the way that we have, like you said, the oppressor and the oppressed Mm -hmm. fallen into this trap of if I just not make a big deal about paying 10 to 40% of my money as a slave, then I can drive on nice roads. I can go to the beach and I can, quote, be safe. But what's fundamentally flawed about that? And how is that unraveling now?
0: Yeah, the fundamental flaw in all of this, and I would encourage people to read Murray Rothbard if they haven't. He's an American philosopher and libertarian on this subject, but he makes very clear distinction that in any system where taxation exists, you are bifurcating society into two classes. There are those that are benefiting from taxation on a net basis, and there are those that are being harmed by taxation on a net basis. And this can change year over year. You could be an oppressor one year and oppress the next year, right? If you're I don't know if you're working at the FDA getting a big fat salary making a bunch of backroom deals benefiting off the fiat currency complex one year maybe you're an oppressor and then the next year you go into private industry and I don't know start a landscaping business right and start to actually render real value to the productive economy and pay taxes then all of a sudden you're the oppressed so it's not a this is a very hard point for people to understand it's not like these people and those people It's a fluid line that's moving all the time based on your economic participation. And so this bifurcation, though, creates what I think, you know, it's all about property ultimately. And property is a really important point to define because people tend to believe that property is the thing itself, right? Like I own a car or a house or a stock they would say that car is my property. This house is my property. The stock is my property. That's not what property is though. Property is the relationship between that owner and that asset. Or you can think about it like a list of who owns what. And there's a list that someone keeps, typically a government, and they say, hey, Robert, you're here you are, here's your identity, here's your social security number, and it's attached to this house, right? Such that if any other person comes into your house and tries to take a nap in your living room, you have recourse to some legal apparatus that can expel them from your home, right? You can Mm -hmm. call the cops or or whatever it may be. So taxation itself, another way to frame this is it's just a violation of your property, right? It's just an erosion of that relationship. Um, It's a breakdown of the, the, integrity between owner and asset or owner and the fruits of their labor in a way. So, and we've always, we've been kind of trapped in this situation historically because everything is physical. And this is where things get kind of bananas and you start to really look at the digital age with fresh eyes. Everything in the physical world requires physical security to protect that property, right? Right. Like if someone's gonna steal your car or, or your house or your stock certificate, right? You need some you need to be able to call on some higher force to stop that theft.
1: Or you need to defend it yourself.
0: Or defend it yourself. You yes. Can, you can defend it yourself or you can outsource uh-huh. defense, basically, right? Just like any other business. The real problem we've been stuck with though is that we've been communizing our defense. We have a communist defense model today. So we all outsource our defense to the state and we say, all right, well, I'm going to sit inside of this enclave of peace that's created by the state and uh, play by the rules, right? And those rules are going to be whatever are imposed upon me. Well, when you're sitting in that enclave, you you have property rights you can create wealth according to their rules but the the problem is the institution that we call the state that's charged with preservation of your property rights is at the same time generating revenue from violating your property rights so you can immediately see i think the, the conflict of interest becomes quite evident yes and you're like wait a minute the organization that we put together to protect the relationship between me and my assets is the same organization that preys on the relationship between me and my assets.
1: This might be very alarming to people that are just hearing this for the first time, but what you're saying has always been there since the very beginning in some ways, much more violent than now. And I think the the subversiveness of the taxation and the subversiveness of the way that it's happening now is under the guise of it's good for you it's yes. there for you you for know unity the statism you talked about you can send a million people to war but dunbar effect happens at 150 with monkeys like these are things that we all need to take serious mental stock of mm-hmm. because they really trap our amygdala so as you know i'm sure in, in your studies around money and people's wounds around money and beliefs around money the amygdala is the fear center so mm-hmm. if my amygdala is toning my vagus nerve way over to the sympathetic side i'm not going to breathe i'm going to be in fear i'm going to do what i'm told i'm going to be a good little boy and a good little girl. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to do what I'm told, and I'm not going to ask any questions. There's a psychological wounding, Robert, that happens. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, you've been on some of the biggest podcasts and you've spoken at some of the biggest lectures and people look to you as a source of information when it comes to financial intelligence. What is the financial wound that we are experiencing as humanity? And how are we transcending that wound right now with digital currency?
0: Yeah. So, (laughs) I guess one of the aims, this could speak to actually the emergence of money. So we've had this, we've been in this trap, the sticky situation, let's call it. I need to outsource defense of my property to this organization, but that same organization also preys on my property. So it's a pretty sticky situation and the state has always been dominant, right? But we've gotten better through social revolution, through time, Through the discovery of things like natural law, which I think are, you know, life, liberty and property, that's what this country is based on. The United States is the greatest testament to the effectiveness of life, liberty and property. We've clearly gone far, far astray 250 years into this experiment, but we started off really strong, right? We had strong rule of law, low and predictable um, taxes, and we had sound money. So it allowed us to accumulate a lot of wealth. In that aim of creating wealth for oneself and having high integrity property, I'll I'll skip this, but let's just, everyone knows that gold is money or everyone knows that gold is valuable at least. Let's just say that gold was selected as money because it was one of these forms of property that was most difficult to violate, right? I could hold a ton of economic energy in a small space in a safe or buried in my backyard that no one knew about. Yeah. That is what made gold become the dominant money in the world. The fact that it can be held in a nondescript way um, in at high density—right—you get high economic density in a small space. It's really important. That is, and that is why you know governments today hoard gold too, right? Like it, gold as money is the geopolitical prime mover, right? You'll see now that especially now that we're seeing Russia and China fracture off of the West, they're going to start demanding more payments in gold. You know, any countries that go to war, the, the victor will always demand payment in gold from the vanquished. So it's like this is we could think of gold as like the most pristine form of economic energy historically. However, <laughs> problem with gold. As money is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work for day-to-day transactions, right? Like you and I we're 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 in a global digital society. I can't send gold to you through the internet. I can't pay for coffee with gold. I can't carry gold in my wallet. I can't throw a bunch of gold in my backpack and go on a plane. I mean, you can, but it's like this shit's so impractical. It's not even funny. So you end up with this very Although money, you know, gold is great as money for holding value across time, it's terrible for moving it across space. So what did we do as humans? Well, we introduced the central bank. The central bank and there's a there's a long history here, but starts out as a warehouse, becomes a bank, becomes a central bank. Essentially, it's an organization that takes custody of your gold and issues a paper certificate that's redeemable for that gold. And all this is designed to do is to increase the transactability of gold. So you and I can now trade in this paper or the electronic representation of that paper, super fast, super easy, no problem. And we all have a call option to the gold should we need to settle, right? So everyone, it's kept on us. We can move value across time and space. Everything's great. What's the problem? Well, you've now introduced human beings into the equation of money. <laughs> it's not, you know, gold was something that we were prevented from counterfeiting due to the laws of chemistry and physics and thermodynamics. There's nothing we could do about that. right? We're, we were governed by unbreakable law in dealing with gold. But once you put gold into a vault and say, this paper certificate is a, a debt certificate for gold, right? it's an IOU for gold. You've now interjected the human political element into that monetary system. And surprise, surprise, what happens? It gets super corrupt. To the point where these, you know, banks which became central banks start initially running fractional reserves, so they'll be, they'll be issuing, you know, two, three, five, ten, 10, hundred x more paper than they have gold on deposit. So it's a it's a fraud, right? They're perpetrating a fraud before finally reaching 1971, where they just broke the peg to gold entirely. And you just have this zero reserve fiat currency standard. That can you, can you go in
1: depth years. on that a little bit? Because people don't know about Nixon. They don't know about the gold standard. This is the first time we've ever really gone into this topic, Robert. And it's yeah. so powerful because, as you know, the, the fifth element of the Pentagon for well-being is financial health. So if people don't know the source of money, what money is, where money came from, and how we transitioned away from gold when, with Nixon, and, and I think it was August in 71, then really there's no conversation, So this one, can you just shed light a little bit on what exactly happened in 1971? How does that impact us today in Mm -hmm. 2022?
0: Yeah, so again, government as the organization charged to preserve property that actually violates property, that doesn't, not just their own citizens, but governments, typically the most powerful government, also tends to be an imperialist. So they try to go out and conquer new territory bring in new taxpayers into their tax base to increase their revenue, right? The state is a business, just like every human organization. This is another big point. All human organizations are businesses. They're all accountable to their bottom line. Even your church. People are always like, no, not my church. They don't do like, does your church pass around a collection tray? Yes. Yes. Are they trying to build a new building or expand or bring in new people or whatever? Yes. Yes all human organizations every group you're involved in is a business there's no there's no exceptions to this um basically we get to the 20th century where we're deep into the industrial age human beings have figured out how to project force across space and time in really new unique and savage ways and what happens we go into the geopolitical theater and we start testing things out and it things get out of hand right we erupt in this Global warfare that we had never seen before um, and World War one, World War two there's a deep history there about how fiat currency enabled a lot of that. Hitler was born from the ashes of the Weimar hyperinflation like so there's something to think about. Do you think Hitler's bad? Hitler would have never existed if not for fiat currency. Could have never come to power. There would have not been a hyperinflationary event. he would have never taken power. Anyways, I'm going to skip some of this in the interest of time, but United States wins World War II. We have at that time the most physical gold in the world. So we are the dominant institution in the world. We have the richest and most dominant geopolitical institution in the world. What is the first thing we do after World War II? People want to talk about this. The war was about this or was about that or was about the assassination of... Archduke, Franz Ferdinand, that's what started World War I. No, it's always about the money and about the property. Every organization's a business. Don't bullshit me with your moral narrative. It's always about the money. The first thing the United States does after it wins World War II is hold the Bretton Woods Conference. It rewrites the global the rules of the global economic order. And it says, the dollar will be pegged to gold. All of your currencies, everyone else, will be pegged to our dollar. This gives or gave the United States the ability to print dollars ad infinitum as much as they want, send them overseas. Other countries send us goods and services in return. Pretty good deal for us, right? We just, it's not even paper, by the way. These are just entries on a database. So the Federal Reserve adds zeros. They buy US government debt. Government takes that freshly printed money, sends it overseas to buy whatever they want. So it's, it's a, this form of imperialism. It's like um, economic serfdom at the geopolitical scale, right? Yeah, That works. Okay. We're still on a gold standard. The United States is in charge. They hold the most gold. Dollars pegged to gold. Every other currency is pegged to the dollar. There was a clause left in that agreement in Bretton Woods, though, that other countries could redeem their US dollars for gold. US citizens could not. This was outlawed back in 1933, um, but other countries could. Well, countries are smart, right? They're competitive businesses. So they see the United States issuing more dollars than we have gold in reserve. Countries start to call our bluff. They say, okay, hey, you've sent me a lot of dollars, just paper, right? It doesn't There's no wealth. Paper is not wealth. Uh, I mean, unless you're going to draw on it or wipe your butt or something, you know, like it's it's a very... Uh, low form of wealth relative to the goods and services and machines that were being sent in exchange for it. So countries start to take this dollar that the US dollar is exporting and try to redeem it for gold per the terms of the Bretton Woods uh, conference. And a couple of redemptions take place. I think France redeemed a few other European countries. And finally, in 1971, when Germany tried to repatriate some gold, Germany is a very productive economy, right? They put out a lot they have a huge uh, net trade surplus, notoriously, uh, notorious for a lot of things, but specifically for being an enterprising country, right? They they have precision engineering, et cetera, et cetera. They try to start redeeming some of these dollars for gold. And that's when Nixon stepped in. And there was this, what's what's now called the infamous Nixon shock, where he closed the gold window, which was said to be a temporary measure at the time. The United States is going to close down the redemption of gold temporarily. I think the blame was placed, as it always is, on market actors. Right? It's like speculators or someone is causing, uh, creating turbulence and volatility in the markets. So the government. But the reality was,
1: is we didn't have enough gold to back up the pieces of paper.
0: One (laughs) hundred percent. Full stop. Yeah. Someone was calling the United States bluff. Germany, of all people, of all countries. How Um, ironic is that? The United States is like, okay, enough of that. We're going to stop sending you the gold now. And then you have the US dollar pegged to nothing, right? There's nothing. You can't, there's nothing. It's a confidence game at this point. All of the currencies in the world pegged to the US dollar. And this is the experiment that we're seeing unravel in real time. Is it we're 50 years into this fiat currency experiment. We've had many fiat currencies across history. I think the first one was in. I want to say it's in like seventh century BC China. I could be wrong about the exact uh, century. They all end in hyperinflation because they're it's bullshit. It's fiat once again. Yeah, use this money or else. This gives the perpetrator the power to just produce more of that money and engage in more of that violent enforcement, and it dumps all the cost onto the victims. Until the victims get to a point where they just can't bear the cost anymore, right? This is what a hyperinflation is. You're in Venezuela. Cash, physical cash is clogging the gutters. People are eating dogs and cats to survive. Why? Because the money broke, right? So this this is where we're at today. It's very bleak. It's very bleak. Um, But fortunately, we have Bitcoin.
1: It can be overwhelming at times because I think about even this word fiat, you know, it's this government issued currency that really it's not backed by any commodity. It's just a promise. It's like me telling you, hey, I I promise that if you give me nine reams of paper that it's worth me mowing your yard nine times. But it's literally a promise. And on your podcast, you talk about this, which I love so much. You said, you know, what is money? This is the podcast mm-hmm. that you host that we'll link in the show notes. You said it's a device for expressing value across space time. Mm-hmm. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And it flies in the face of the spiritual people that I sometimes play with that say mm-hmm. Money's just energy, Josh, which I believe. I do believe that money is energy. Mm-hmm. But just like any energy, no energy can be created or destroyed. It can only be moved. It can only be altered. You can't, I can't create more energy. I just access what is here. So do you believe that money is spiritual? I mean, it's a very spiritual question for a spiritual man. There's a lot of talk in this world about gut health, but when it really comes to gut health, you don't always need supplements to make your internal world sparkly clean again. The majority of the time you can heal and nourish your gut simply by using the right foods and eating the right nutrients. For me and my family, when it comes to gut health, we start with food, specifically healthy, sustainable animal foods that are pasture-raised, organically spiced, and naturally fermented, like the pasture-raised turkey sticks from our partners and friends at Paleo Valley. Now, the naturally occurring probiotics is what truly sets these turkey sticks apart. Also, they taste amazing and they satiate me. They're GMO-free, they have delicious flavor. This beautiful satiating protein is digested with every bite, this cage-free, free-range pasture-raised poultry. It's the equivalent of 100% grass-fed cows. You can feel good and pick up your multi-pack of these pasture-raised turkey sticks over at joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley. Make sure you use the code Josh, that's J-O-S-H, to get 15% off your entire order. Make your gut happy, Stop being hangry. No more hangriness. Trent.com forward slash Paleo Valley. Use code Josh to save 15% off your entire order from my friends at Paleo Valley. Do you believe that money is spiritual? I mean, it's a very spiritual question for a spiritual man.
0: Let's, um, let's keep it in the realm of energy. I I don't, uh, spirituality is much harder to talk about. Um, we could talk about the moral aspects of the point, but let's stick with energy because this is a useful framing for money. Money is energy. That's right. It's a lot of things, but one of the things is energy. Yeah. What is it about gold that allowed us to secure its economic value across time? What was it about gold? It was the proof of work necessary to create gold, right? You cannot counterfeit gold. Yeah. No one has figured out how to create gold in a lab more cost effectively than we can mine it out of the earth. So there is an expenditure of energy necessary to obtain gold. And the supply, even when we allocate time and energy to it, we can only increase the supply of gold a little bit year over year in relationship to the total supply. And a lot of this has to do with the properties of gold, like it's indestructible. It's basically infinitely durable. You know, So the more we mine, the more supply we have. I think the total supply mined by humans across history feels like two Olympic-sized swimming pools. And we're only increasing that supply by 2% a year, despite gold being one of the most important assets in the world, right? It's $11 trillion market. So it was, it is energy. It is energy that secures the money from counterfeiting, right? Compare this to the US dollar, which is a centralized SQL database maintained on premise at the Federal Reserve, where you can increase the money supply, which is to say inflate or counterfeit the money supply at the press of a button with the approval of seven old guys. No energy is necessary, right? No, how how much energy is it to press a key on a computer versus to go and mine energy out of the earth?
1: It's a so beautiful, right? it's a beautiful way to describe there's it.
0: There's no security model, there's no yeah, security absolutely. model in fiat. There is a security model in gold. So what happens? What ha- Okay, If money is energy, what's happening when you're just producing fiat ad infinitum? Well, you didn't spend any energy to create it, but those dollars can then be taken into the marketplace and used to acquire goods and services that are based in energy. It's like, you want to buy some steak? What is steak? Steak is the energy, the solar energy that's been converted into grass, that has been converted into beef. And now I can take these US dollars to buy that beef. So, what is this doing when one group can arbitrarily expand the supply of dollars that we are all forced to work for? This is a very key point. Here's a phrase that people, that really resonated with a lot of people inflation is legalized counterfeiting. Counterfeiting is criminalized inflation. They are the same thing. Yet, we somehow, people have, uh, I guess, Drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And they think that inflation is a normal and healthy aspect of a productive economy. And even the even the word inflation, it's euphemistic, right? It sounds great. If you're just depre- if you only, if you don't think about the money, and I'm just depreciating the dollars, well, then your house is going up in price, your stock portfolio, your assets, your wages, everything on and then the level first order level of just an illusion seems wonderful. But what's actually happening? It's not the value of those things going up. You are being robbed in broad daylight all the time. It's happening right now. This whole conversation we've had, I'm sure you have dollars in a bank account or in your under your mattress or in your whatever. You can't even put them in your yard or under your mattress. You're still going to be diluted through fiat currency inflation because the central bank is a legalized counterfeiting operation.
1: So some people right now might be experiencing a lot of fear or confusion. Like when you come across these people at their level of development or at their level of awareness, do you explain this counterfeiting metaphor in the guise of "this is the love versus the fear," or is this just the podcast that you're doing that on right now? In other words, how do you explain that to the normal peeps that are just uh, been drink that have maybe been drinking the Kool Aid for a long time?
0: Well, I explain it a lot of ways to a lot of different audience cohorts and I talk to the smartest people in the world to try and you know evaluate this thing from multiple perspectives and deliver uh, an assimilated truth right this idea of of looking at it from a lot of different angles but yeah for this particular podcast I think that the focus on energy and I yeah. for me personally you mentioned me as a spiritual guy I am a bit of a spiritual guy energy is everything mm-hmm. frankly Right, E equals MC squared. It's actually everything. Mass Mm -hmm. is frozen energy. Everything in the universe is made of energy. So, surprise, surprise, money is energy. So, again, what happens when we put money into a legal monopoly and we say this group of people can counterfeit money? Yeah, everyone else is forced to use the counterfeit money. What's happening? It's energetic parasitism, right? They are sucking life energy. Out of the productive economy, and we have a central bank in every single country in the world. There is no exception to this; zero exceptions. Every, and here's the perverse thing about it: when people get screwed up psychologically about money, it's usually like a scarcity. You know, they can't figure out how to get enough money. Well, they're kind of responding to the reality as it is. It's not their fault. That's why I don't like people that come down on individuals like, oh, you just need to have the abundance mentality and then the money will just flow in. And it's like, bull fucking shit. That dollar that you're holding, that you're trying to save, you're trying to get ahead, you're trying to make ends meet, you're trying to plan for the future is being rug pulled on you all the time. It's being pulled out from under you all the time. And Now it's more abundantly clear than ever. If you look at gas prices and food food price inflation, again, energy, right? Gas, food, all the fundamental things, premier real estate, the things that require the most energy are increasing in price fastest. Why? Because they're the biggest target for the parasite that is the central bank. And If you start looking at it through the energetic lens, it does get you to that spiritual landscape a little bit because, and I've written about this in one of my pieces titled Masters and Slaves of Money. Um, You know, money, we've tried to create this technology that allows us to engage with everyone in the world in a trustful way, right? And now now the um, monetary historians would call this trust minimization, actually that I can do business with anyone in the world if I'm holding Bitcoin and they accept Bitcoin. I don't need to know about them or their reputation. It's like, do you have the money? Great, I'll do the thing. If you don't have the money, no, I won't do the thing. Like Mm -hmm. Your reputation, it doesn't come into play nearly as much. So again, back to this idea of humans being able to collaborate and scale in a way no other animal can, that's because of money. If you inject theft into that trusted substrate, Right, that medium that we're all depending on to not need to worry about. Right, I need the money to just hold the fruits of my labor so I can go and trade it with other people and we can all produce more in cooperation. That's literally it's called the division of labor, the economic division of labor. Human beings acting in concert are more than the sum of their parts. This is not, I'm not like making this up. This is by definition how we create wealth. When you inject deceit. Fraud, dishonesty, uh, into that medium that's supposed to be the opposite of all those things, right? It's supposed to be trust, integrity, reliability. Don't you think that has that repatterning of the meta narrative of money? Don't you think that has a repatterning effect on us? Of course. Don't you think it fucks people
1: up? Like, mm-hmm.
0: There's a whole rabbit hole here, but this um, is the money
1: wound, but this is the money wound, Robert, the money wound that I I love what you said. You hate the abundance mentality where people say, well, if you're broke, you know, just think more abundantly or just think positive. No, I think it's actually take a deep breath and pull back 30,000 feet above the sky and see the landscape that we live in because the landscape that we live in ever since I was a little kid, I always wondered, why are these adults so pissed off? Why is there this interstitial tension among businesses and adults? And I know we all feel it. Y'all feel it every day when you go outside and we're feeling it and seeing it more now than ever because of Instagram and Facebook and social media and the mainstream narrative. So I think about really what money is. And I love that you said that it was energy and however people want to describe it. I think money is just something that we feel that is a promise that is delivered upon with honesty. But like you said, when energy gets in there that has malice or energy gets in there that has different intentions, that really, in my opinion, is a demonic energy that has probably been here for a long time. And we can go into another rabbit hole on that, but there is dark energy in this world and there's loving energy in this world. I think, and I'm curious how you'd describe this, what is the loving energy of Bitcoin? Bitcoin itself is a solution to this really 30, 40 minute problem that you've barely scratched the surface on because it goes much deeper than what you've described. You've done an amazing job of describing the vacuum of the problem that created Bitcoin in the first place. Yeah. But what is the loving energy of Bitcoin? And, and for people that don't even know, like what is Bitcoin? How did it come to be?
0: Yeah. I mean, these are huge, huge questions and topics. So uh, real quick,
1: I know we're coming up on time. You Hopefully we have a little bit more time. This is no, we amazing. We like 15 minutes. All right, cool. Yeah. Go. Cool. Cool.
0: So I, I just want to round out the, the discussion on the moral implications. So there There's a long literature about this in Austrian economics, actually, and it's called time preference. And it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the lower your time preference, the longer term thinking you are. So the more versions of your future self you're taking into consideration with every decision. And conversely, the higher your time preference, the shorter term thinking you are. There's a lot of things that contribute to time preference, but money is a major one, right? If your money is of a high integrity supply and it's predictable and you can depend upon it to hold its value across time, you're much more likely to have a lower time preference, which is to say a longer time horizon in all of your decision-making. Conversely, if your money loses value over time and it's unpredictable, right? we don't know how many dollars are in circulation? How many dollars will be in circulation? Who has them? Who gets to decide? Who's profiting from it? What are the rules? You know, now it's to the point now. I mean, I don't know who else is experiencing this, but when I try to send a wire, I have to like complete a fucking form and tell them who it's for and where it's from and where it's going. It's like, fuck you. It's private mm-hmm. property. I'll do whatever I want with my money, right? This is we're we're regressing badly. So when your money deteriorates and robs you all the time we are elevating people's time preference again this is an economic term shrinking their time horizons for decision making and this is argued to be a demoralization or a decivilization by definition right because think about it if i'm going to make a decision right now i could either go to the gym and work out and eat healthy and go to bed early Or if I know I'm going to die tomorrow, right? I've got a really high time preference. Like, well, shit, all bets are off. I'm going to go do whatever, drink and eat and spend. It doesn't matter. There's no certainty about my future. I'm sorry. There's no certainty about the future of my life. There's a certainty Mm -hmm. about my future demise. So all of your decisions become immoral. Like the less you consider your future, in any one decision, the more immoral your decisions tend to be, the more consumptive you tend to be. Um, and so I think with the debasement of fiat currency globally, we are shrinking the time horizons of both individuals and socioeconomic collectives in a way that de-civilizes humanity. And this is why the Austrians wrote that, um, I forget who wrote this exactly, but he said the moral standard and the monetary standard are inexorably linked. So we're actually dialing up or dialing down our morality, our consideration for one another based on the integrity of the money. Um, And with something like that in mind, you could say that the integrity of civilization is really dependent upon the integrity of money, ultimately. And so when you had a society on a gold standard, you had human flourishing when there were not, not war times. But when you start to debase the currency, you start to see the opposite effect. And I think that's what we're moving into today. To get to the point about love, let's say this first. So if the integrity of money is a core contributor to the integrity of civilization, that's one useful way to look at the value of Bitcoin is that we have... For the first time in human history, a perfectly predictable money. It's a fixed supply of 21 million. No one can change it. No political force can do anything about it. No government can outlaw it, sanction it, seize it. Uh, if, if it's custodied properly, it cannot be seized. That's very important. We talked about the evils of inflation. If it can't be inflated, that's very important, right? We talked about the nature of property, right? Where all property in physical space. Needs physical security. Therefore, we need a government or some institution of security specialization in violence to protect that property right. Well, guess what? Bitcoin's the first property right independent of the state monopoly on violence. It lives orthogonal to the whole thing. You're just outsourcing your security to a distributed network of self interested miners. So they're just participating in a competition to run your transactions and you're paying them based on when you want to move the money the whole sphere of property has now, now the, the government's been rug pulling us on the dollar for centuries. Uh, and I say the dollar, I mean fiat more generally. The state has been rug pulling people on money for centuries. Well, now Bitcoin's rug pulling the state. It's taking property, not all property, but the most important form of property money out of the hands of government. And this is something that, um, you know, Friedrich Hayek was a very famous philosopher and Austrian economist. He said a long time ago that we would never see the separation of money and state until we discovered some sly roundabout way to take it out of their hands. And a lot of Bitcoiners believe that Bitcoin is that sly roundabout way, that we finally mm-hmm. introduced something that the government itself cannot stop.
1: But is it really that sly, though? I mean, it seems like it's very zero, one, logical, out for all to see on a global ledger where everybody verifies transactions. It doesn't seem too sly.
0: Well, it was sly enough to get to a $1 trillion market cap without being squashed. And at that size, it's really hard to stop. We're not there today. We're we're off the all-time high by quite a few points. But um, I mean, that's the $200 trillion question. Can Bitcoin be stopped? Mm -hmm. Every vested power structure in the world wants to stop it. But Bitcoin is specifically designed for this. It's a monetary technology wrapped in military grade encryption designed to survive all attacks. Literally, that's all it doesn't do anything else except that. It just creates a new block every 10 minutes and sticks to a supply cap of 21 million and survives. That's that's why like people they get so stumbled on Bitcoin because like it's too basic, right? People call it old technology or like it's not, it's not fast enough, or it's not, it doesn't do this thing that my other crypto does. It's like None of that shit matters. We need it to only do those three things and do those three things well and forever. And that's all it needs to do. And that's what it's been doing flawlessly for 13 years. Um, so love, oh, this, this, deep, deep, deep topic. Here's something that's interesting though about Bitcoin. So let's first say, all right, fiat currency We've talked about the self destruction that it imparts. Another aspect of this is that governments are addicted to fiat currency. And I mean this literally. When you become addicted to a substance, alcohol, drugs, whatever, you engage in a process called reciprocal narrowing. So you can think about it this way I'm a guy struggling at work. Maybe I've got some family problems. I'm having a hard time making ends meet. Probably also has to do with the central bank that's robbing me that I may or may not be aware of, but I'm struggling, right? Well, I struggle, yet I find relief in alcohol. I like to drink, right? I like to drink with my buddies on the Friday, take a little bit of the paycheck. Okay. The drinking though, is causing me problems at home and at work, right? So I go to the bar on Friday and Saturday and maybe my wife and kids don't like it. And then I'm showing up late for work. And so I get into this vicious cycle where things are getting a little bit worse because of my drinking, which actually drives me to want to drink a little more because things are worse. Right. And what happens is we, we get caught in this vicious feedback loop and we spiral out of control. Right. That's what, that's what, that is the definition of addiction. Mm -hmm. Like go, go, Google reciprocal narrowing and addiction. You can read all about it, right? I had a long conversation with John Brevakey about this. We did an eight part series. Uh, It was a real eye opener for me.
1: I've also heard addiction described as a separation from self. So the opposite of addiction is connection either with myself or with you. That's addiction as well, which is such a mirror. It's such a mirror for what you're describing. I don't mean to like stop you in your metaphor here or in your story, but like, wow. I mean, if the lightning isn't striking everyone's minds right now, rewind and listen again. Because what well, you're sharing you're, you're, is, is ultimately the key.
0: You're leading, you know exactly where I'm going with this. So addiction, this act, this process, let's say of reciprocal narrowing, self-destructive destruct, self reciprocal narrowing, which can be done with an individual with a substance abuse problem, is the same thing that's done with fiat currency. You print money to try to paper, like something bad happens, you print some money, to try and harvest additional economic surplus and go fix it. Well, what does that do? It sows the seeds for future uh, inflation that you need to inflate more money even faster, even worse next time to get less of an effect, right? So this is the whole, you know, your first beer, you feel out your second beer, you don't, you start to chase that original high, right? Yeah. This is what addicts do. Yeah. This is what governments do. Only they do it across spans of, of decades. What is the opposite of that? What is the opposite of addiction? This reciprocal narrowing, self destructive process is love. Love is reciprocal opening, right? The best in me wants to see the best in you. I want to see you succeed and flourish. Your success and flourishing feeds into my success and flourishing. And then I feed back into you, right? This is the whole, and this is the essence of capitalism, too, right? The division of labor and specializations, like everyone. Do what they do best, own yourself and trade with self owned others, and we create more wealth, right? There's a reciprocity there that it's not just this soft thing called love. It has very tangible, pragmatic, economic results. Well, what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a money that once you hold, like if I hold Bitcoin and you hold Bitcoin, we now have, here's another definition of money that's useful. It's a call option on capital, so the money itself is not capital, right? I can't eat the money. I can't turn it. The money will not produce cars for me. You know, I can go buy a factory that will produce cars, whatever. Once you and I are on a Bitcoin standard, we now have a call option on global capital. Not only all the global capital that is presently available, right? Bitcoin is just a pure money. We can use it We can spend it to buy anything, right? Let's just agree that money can be used to buy anything the market can bear. But you have that forever, right? If you have a thousand Bitcoin, you have a thousand Bitcoin out of a possible 21 million forever. So you if you're just holding that position and Bitcoin continues to outcompete these other monies that all fail, by the way, right? All fiat currencies go to zero, then you have this call option on global capital forever, forever. So now the whole game changes. The whole my whole perception of reality changes because I want you to succeed. I want you to get insanely wealthy and make innovate to your heart's content, satisfy human wants, create a business, become famous, rich famous, like I want all of that for you because what does that mean? That means the global capital stock has grown and I am now richer. <laughs> So we there's this transformation of incentives, like a, like a complete polar flip, where in a fiat world, you're just trying to stay ahead of inflation. And you'll steal, mm. you'll lie, you'll yes. do anything to outpace the theft of inflation that's being perpetrated on you to Bitcoin that has zero unexpected inflation, 0% unexpected inflation.
1: Now, all I want to do is see
0: my fellow humans succeed. Because the more they succeed, the richer I
1: am. How do we know if Bitcoin will stand the test of time? You already talked about its military-grade encryption. And for people that just want to begin this journey, so two questions. How do people begin cultivating this financial independence for themselves? What's the first two or three steps they take? And then lastly, from your education and from everybody that you know, some of the top people in the world when it comes to financial currency that's digitally traded... uh, this podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric, lemon balm, and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is going to allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that, (laughs) as far as I've heard. 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. What's going to stand the test of time with Bitcoin? We don't know that Bitcoin will stand the test of time.
0: We don't know any, I mean, you don't, there's no certainties in life, by the way, including, yeah. well, there's death. There's not taxes, thanks to Bitcoin. But I would argue those three things Bitcoin needs to do, new block of transactions every 10 minutes, adhere to a supply cap of 21 million and survive. It's done perfectly for 13 years straight. Perfectly. I mean, there's there's minor arguments here where people like, well, there was this one bug that got announced and then so on, but it has nothing's changed. Bitcoin's hit a trillion dollar market cap. Its supply is 21 million Um, blocks come out every 10 minutes. It's done what it has set out to do perfectly for 13 years straight. The bet on Bitcoin is that it will continue to do those things, and if it does those things. A study of monetary history tells us that it will outcompete every other money in the world that is depreciated by fiat all the time. So, the simple try to make it real simple here. We're producing more and more dollars. Like, as I described that reciprocal narrowing process, we have to produce more and more dollars to keep the debt structure intact. So, 2008. 700 billion, people were like, wow, that's a crazy bailout number. We just printed $700 billion. That's insane. 2020, was it $6 trillion in the US? So 10X in roughly 10 years, 12 years. Mm-hmm. The next one, will they go up by orders of magnitude. The next one will be another 10X. Whatever shakes out next, who knows what it's going to be. Whatever excuse comes to the surface here. Governments are going to print tens of trillions of dollars. You're producing more and more and more and more exponentially more dollars. And we're producing exponentially less Bitcoin every four years. The new supply of Bitcoin gets cut in half
1: Mm -hmm.
0: every four years. It gets cut in half and half and half and half and half.
1: So So I have to interrupt you here and I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you. So, so if somebody wanted to get Bitcoin, there's really no guarantee for the future, but there's definitely no guarantee for fiat and the way that money's being traded now. So it's almost like not the lesser of two evils, just the lower, more loving path than compared to what we've experienced before, because there is no guarantees that any of these two structures will 100% with certainty work.
0: Oh, there's no guarantee that anything works. I would say, and and, you know, we're pretty sure the sun's going to come up tomorrow, but we don't have any guarantees but fiat is especially bad in that every fiat currency <laughs> fails, like except the ones that are active today. Just open a book, study, you know. There's a lot of great books on this, but um, one I would recommend is fiat currency inflation in France. It just goes through all these moral and, and socioeconomic implications. The bet is this the bet is that even if fiat survives, we have to produce exponentially more fiat. Bitcoin survives, we're producing exponentially less Bitcoin. If you're pricing Bitcoin in terms of exponentially more dollars, you have exponentially more dollars chasing exponentially less Bitcoin. This is a higher dollar price for Bitcoin every year. Not every year, every cycle, right? Every time there's a reset. So I think it's as simple as that. You know, it's just being able to store. The fruits of your labor in a medium that cannot be confiscated, cannot be inflated, cannot be stopped, cannot be seized, cannot be reversed, cannot be sanctioned, can't be tracked if you do it correctly. Um, It's a return to to life, liberty, and property, which are the foundational principles of Western civilization, Mm -hmm. which the state is actively destroying today.
1: What do you think is more important? Because you you mentioned natural law earlier. Is it more important for people to learn how to grow their own food, protect themselves, use responsible firearms, cultivate community where there's somewhat of a hierarchy that's based on people's natural wants, desires, and talents? Or is it subsequent or or is it different than just investing in Bitcoin and making sure that digitally that our money is sound? Which one's more important or are they both equally important right now for what's to come?
0: Well, it's hard, you know, everyone has to reconcile their own hierarchies of value and decide what's most important for them. But in my view, in times of great uncertainty, right, when you're in a situation that you actually cannot, no one can predict where we are right now, we're, we're deep into uncharted territory with fiat. It's been global. It's been coordinated. We're 50 years in. The state is literally insane right now. I mean, you've seen that for the past two years. You know, it's really, really bad. R- things are really uncertain. Let's just say that. Yeah. What's the best strategic response to uncertainty? Optionality. You want as many options as possible because you don't know which way things are going to move. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's what money is money is an instrument of pure optionality but it's not enough, right? I can't shoot people with money. I can't eat money, right? There's other yes. options I need to cultivate for
1: myself. When the Titanic was sinking, the, the rich man tried to give the guy money to get on the boat. He was like, your money's no good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're, exactly. we're kind of there in an yes. analogy right now. We're yes. there now. So
0: I would just say constructing a personal portfolio of options is what's most important. Those options, right? Money is clearly important, <laughs> affords you a lot of options in the world, especially a money that you can put in your brain and cross a border with. You know, you can't do that with gold, you can't do that with fiat. Um, a money you know that can't be inflated. Um, a money, it just gives you a, a great deal of certainty by being in Bitcoin. Now, this people argue, and they're like, oh, no, what do you mean the price volatility is so high? It's like, I'm not advocating to use Bitcoin as like the money you live off of. Mm-hmm. I advocate for Bitcoin as a savings technology. So if you're looking to save and accumulate savings over the long term, that's what I use Bitcoin for, right? So I, I run a profitable business. I buy a certain amount of Bitcoin every single day. My revenue stream is not even. I have you know peaks and valleys in my revenue stream. If I have excess USD revenue come in, and I'll be opportunistic on Bitcoin. I'll buy Bitcoin price dips, and I put all of it in long-term savings. So my strategy is to just accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible and never sell it. Never sell it until I have to sell it, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's never. Yeah. Um, other pieces of this, I think, are yeah, looking at self-sufficiency with food, right? Three D printed firearms, uh, decentralized media. Right. What we're doing right now is a big big hole in the state's edifice. They need, you know, control over mainstream media is what allowed the state to be so dominant in the 20th century, but the internet yeah. is, his blown holes in that. So
1: we're going to link something here as we say goodbye. And it was on your IG and it was like, I don't know who it was, but it was a room of people. And there was this woman speaking and she was like, Trump's trying to control how people think. And then she stopped and she said, but that's our job. She said it on accident, but it was actually what was there anyways. I think you, I think you mentioned like, Oh, here's someone being human. It's (laughs) like, we can only be this man behind the curtain for so long as a society before we do have to learn some tough love lessons. And like you said before, love isn't always soft and kind. Sometimes love moves swift. And I really hope, and I, I'm curious how you feel as we say goodbye for the future of money and humanity, because I think there's a corollary with money's integrity and in our, and mm. our, and our health as a society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, our health and our wealth are, clearly very bound up you know as as we have advanced as a civilization our so has our lifespan for instance right we've um and it's not perfect right we have a lot of these fiat issues like fast food and whatnot that are destroying our health today but in terms of my optimism i'm extremely optimistic for the deep future of humanity like the long run of humanity i think the digital age, Is going to be the transcendence of statism. I think we're going to wake up from this hallucination and be like, what the fuck have we been doing for 5,000 years? It's so perverse because the less coercion we have, the more wealthy we are. So it's like we're fighting over the wealth, but that is a self-defeating effort, right? The fighting over the wealth is the reason there's not more wealth because we're engaging in taking and not making We're creating less aggregate wealth in the world. People are all screwed up mentally. It's a a whole thing. The medium, like the mid game though, from here to there is just fraught with uncertainty, right? Like I recommend a book called The Sovereign Individual on this topic. It was written in 1997. I actually had one of the authors on my show recently. We'll be dropping that episode soon. But this book predicted... Again, written in 1997, the emergence of social media, the emergence of Bitcoin, um, the use of a pandemic by states to reinforce the validity of their borders, Hmm. and it ultimately predicted the dissolution and collapse of the nation state in the digital age. And there's a whole another rabbit hole to explain that, but let's just say that the digital age, the social institutions suitable for the digital age are going to look nothing like what we had in the industrial age we're literally we're starting over and that is going to create a lot more peace prosperity wealth less coercion less violence less fear but to go from here to there you know the states are going to fight to hold on to everything they've got yeah i don't know what it looks like so
1: none of us do optionality well and i think of healing as a spiral so as we go up, we're still going around. Mm-hmm. And so as we fight and not fight and learn how to love and still be in fear, it's never going to be this linear one day a light switch flicks and all of a sudden Bitcoin is king. It's going to right. be this arduous path of the tree shaking. So yes. my my viewpoint and, and as we... As we give people a place to find more information about your podcast, everybody right now can go listen to Robert. I've really enjoyed, this is like one of the least amounts I've ever spoken on an interview because I just wanted to listen. I just wanted to hear what you had to say because my financial intelligence has always and continues to be a huge spaciousness for me, a white space. And I'll tell you, in the wellness industry and in the spiritual world, there is no greater place where it's apparent that people are broke. Because you have a lot of people that want to help other people, but their financial intelligence isn't there. So it's been mm-hmm. phenomenal to learn from you. The podcast is called What Is Money? You can go to whatismoneypodcast.com. But as we say goodbye, and it talked about the spiral, and, and we think about all these ways. There's so many things that we must learn in order to be sound financially, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. How do you define wellness, and what is money's role, either digital or gold? In you living your personal life well, how would you define wellness? How does money weave into that?
0: Well, there's something really transformative uh, about Bitcoin or or interacting with Bitcoin, and this is things get a little weird when you get on to this point because there's a lot of people that are deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole that are experiencing radical personal transformation, and. I've got my own long story about that, but let's just say in a nutshell that discovering Bitcoin and going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole transformed me from a fiat fuck boy to a Bitcoin think boy. Maybe you could say something like that. I haven't unpacked that story yet for anyone, but um, it's been... Radical you know and this maybe this is the time preference thing that the Austrians wrote about like once you can put your money in a place that you know will be there and no one can violate, all of a sudden it unlocks you psychologically. and and maybe part of this too is when you're studying Bitcoin and what is money, like you are also studying history. So you're looking deep into history, you're also unlocking yourself to have a lower time preference and expand your own perceptual horizons in the future and the past. And it it is civilizing in a way, more like almost um, fortifies your morality in a way. Like my health has improved a lot. (laughs) I'm a father now. Uh, I gave up alcohol just kind of voluntarily. I I never really had a problem with it that much, but I just my reading list was outpacing me, so I was like, I'm just going to stop drinking. Then I can just focus on these books all the time. Uh, I found extremely meaningful work. Like I'm, I did, I was never satisfied where I was a CFO before mostly focused in tech, but it was such a cutthroat kind of deceptive scummy type of affair all the time. Yeah, the oppressor make, and the
1: oppressed model you talked about.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. always trying to like sell more than you have and, you know, get, you know, cut deals that are in your face. It's just such yeah. a, energetically not a good space, but in Bitcoin, I've found a community, I guess, that's that's suitable for me. And um, and I'm not the only one. Again, I'm just speaking for my own kind of personal transformation. The, it's like, okay, sure, dude, you found Bitcoin and you improved your life. That doesn't mean it's for everyone. But it's like, there's, a, there's a great guy, a good friend of mine, John Vallis, and his podcast focuses on this. You should, you should have him on, actually. He's a super smart, well-spoken guy. That's his specialty. Like he dives into Bitcoiners that are experiencing personal transformation in their life as a result of interacting with this technology. Um, And I don't know what that means. Like what is Bitcoin involved in the revolution or acceleration of
1: consciousness? I don't know, but um, I feel like it is. I feel like when you speak about this, if it's really a global ledger, that's like a big basket where every single one of us is part of the weave and there's no way to make a hole in that basket because everyone's connected to each other, yes. then really it is about honesty. And it yeah. is finally a way for us to all be at the seashore, be in tribes and trade goods and services without this oppressor and oppressed, this, this non-duality that's talked about in this world. Sometimes yes. I feel like, man, is that even possible? And I think it is. I think there's always gonna be a certain degree of duality. There's always gonna be love and fear, dark and light a little bit. But we're so out of keel right now, mm-hmm. and we're so towards the path of fear, collectively, energetically, objectively. I mean, it's it's radical. So I've really appreciated this kind of conversation with you because we didn't get into the weeds and the nuts and bolts of, of you know how to trade Bitcoin and what to mm-hmm. look for for people that want to take that first step. Where do they go? You know, if somebody's getting inspired by this and they want to be a part of that basket, we're all holding it together as a global yeah. society. Where do they go? How do they start?
0: Yeah, I mean, there this is a hard one to answer because there's a lot of options out there. But I would say you can go, you can find me on Twitter at breedlove22, B R W D L O V L O V E 22. That's breedlove22. I have a link tree there and I have links to companies that I use. Like I use Swan to buy my Bitcoin, I use Casa to custody my Bitcoin. There's a lot of options out there, but I'm happy to. Make recommendations. Um, you know, feel free to DM me. I respond to the best of my ability, but there's a lot of them out there. Um, I just wanted to echo back the thing you said about the basket because that's beautiful. You know, the idea that we could all be part of something, and you know, a global institution, if you will, mm-hmm. that's um, perfectly integral. Right, something that can't really break. Um, this would be quite a bit meta, but I think it would be appropriate to say here. The level of realization I'm at now is that it's all patterns, right? All of reality is just a bunch of interacting patterns. Bitcoin is this pattern of pure honesty. Like there's nothing hidden. It's literally, there's nothing hidden. It's open source code. It's definable. Like no matter which way you look at it, you see it in its totality. And if money is such an important pattern for the human species, like doesn't it make sense that an honest, truthful, sincere pattern like that would resonate into us? Like in the same way that fiat corrupted our character and our souls, doesn't it make sense that this unincorruptible money would, would cleanse us of that? So I think that, you know, I know I'm out there right now, but that Is what it's felt like for me in my own personal transformation.
1: No, I feel like you're right here. (laughs) I don't think you're out there too much. Um, I've really appreciated this mindset and really this consciousness, this perspective that you've given us today. Lots of wellness, a ton of wisdom. Robert Breedlove, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for being here with us on the podcast. You can access all the wellness and the wisdom. Over at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast, you can get every single thing you need to access all the wisdom you have inside of your body and heart and soul right at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. If you want to be coached directly by me and be a part of this thriving wellness force global community, just go to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start your journey today. Get the M21 wellness guide with six science-backed practices that'll help you body, mind, and soul start your day with the right intention and the right mindset so your physical body can give you love back. That's joshtrent.com forward slash m21. Start today. I'm waiting for you. You have the community right here, right now at your fingertips. You just have to have the courage to take the first step. joshtrent.com forward slash m21 to get your free 21-day six-part science-backed guide.